What's up, fight fans? Today we're breaking down Andre Ward versus Sullivan Barrera, Diaz versus Velez, and looking ahead to Pacquiao Bradley 3. Stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Bam. There's the drop. Classic Deftones. Who doesn't like some Deftones? What's up, everyone? I assume you're fight fans because you're here watching AfterBuzz TV's Boxing After Show. Today, we're breaking down, like I was saying, Andre Ward versus Sullivan Barrera. We got to see Andre Ward fight. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Um, but before we dive into it, uh, I'm Jared Gilkerson. You can find me at Gilkerson Radio on Twitter. And, of course, if you're watching us live on YouTube, thank you very much. Feel free to make comments, ask questions, give us a thumbs up. Write some comments, and if you're on iTunes, rate us, subscribe, let us know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, what you love about the sport, and also SoundCloud, everywhere where AfterBuzz can be downloaded. Thank you for joining us. Um, I just love that song. I just like, just let it play for a little while. We'll just let it, <laughs> there it is. Um, it's so good to be back. As you can see, I got the studio to myself again. So feel free to send me some questions. Uh, I've got a few rolling in on Twitter right now. Hopefully we'll get to them. But first, let's dive in and break down Andre Ward versus Sullivan Barrera. Happened last night at Oracle Arena in Oakland, California. Um, uh, before we show you some highlights, just let you know, uh, unanimous decision victory, 117-109, 119-109, and 117-108 for Ward. Let's check out some highlights from last night's fight. We'll check them out here. Here we go. And if you're watching, watch with me. And here it is. This is round, uh, I think round three. Boom. Big left hook by Ward sent Barrera to the canvas. I mean, that thing was so quick. Hit him right on the temple. Kind of just threw out of his uh, equilibrium. As you can see, Steph Curry and Draymond Green from the Warriors were in ringside. They were enjoying the fight. And we're showing some just just great quick shots by Ward. I mean, every time Barrera wanted to come in and, and be active, Ward made him pay for it. The guy is so slick and quick, and he got the UD, got the unanimous decision. Uh, big win for Ward. His first fight at light heavyweight, first official fight at light heavyweight. Uh, he was at the 175-pound limit, um, and during fight night, he weighed 186 pounds. So this is the biggest we've seen Andre Ward. Um, he's always been a, a super middleweight, as you know, he was back in the Super 6 tournament. And yeah, we can get rid of that Deftones now. Now it's just crazy, but um, Steve's my main man in there. Uh, I could rock out to that Deftones song all day, but uh, thank you, sir. Um, but we saw him at light heavyweight, and we haven't seen much of Andre Ward lately when you pull up his stats. I mean, he fought once in 2013, took all of 2014 off, once in 2015, and now in 2016. So through injuries, you know, his he's had knee problems, he's had shoulder surgery, and of course he's had a lot of problems with management, and a lot of fans have kind of not like the way he's dealt with that, you know, taking too long of time off, you know, not wanting to fight on undercards, wanting to be the main event. I get it. 
this guy at one point, if not even still, is considered maybe pound for pound the best fighter in the world. Uh, on my list, he's not quite there. you got to be a little bit more active, but he's right there because it's beautiful to watch him fight. Um, as I mentioned, first fight a light heavyweight, fighting against Sullivan Barrera, uh, a Cuban fighter who has a, uh, a big amateur background, um, like 325 fights. So, and this was for the IBF mandatory challenge. And we all know Sergey Kovalev has the light heavyweight championship. Let's start off with a little breakdown of the fight. Uh, Ward um, just came out sharp. I mean, he's one of the sharpest fighters. He's like an artist in there. Um, and he knocked down Barrera with that quick left hook uh, while his own his back was against the ropes uh, in the third round. So that was a 10-8 round. And then I had a clean sweep except for round eight when referee Raul Caiz Sr. deducted a point from Andre Ward for a low blow. It was, it was blatantly a low blow. And so that was a 9-9 round. And I had Ward winning the fight 119-107. A few notes I made during the fight. He's just a brilliant tactician in the ring. Uh, he absorbs punches well. He rolls with punches. And then he, uh, he um, counters with just supreme accuracy. And he makes you pay for being aggressive. Because I don't think Sullivan Barrera, who's, you know, uh, even though he's older than Ward, 34 years old, uh, he's an up-and-coming, uh, undefeated light heavyweight, and he wanted to make a name for himself. And he usually throws around 70, you know, 72, 73 punches around, but in this fight only averaged, I believe it was somewhere in the 50s, because Andre Ward makes you do that. He makes you think twice about coming in, because you don't know what's going to land clean, and you don't know what shots he's going to throw back, because Andre can fight you. He's a fighter. He's really, really unique. He can fight you from a distance, and then he can also fight you inside, but he can fight you just as well from either one. And then he gives you tough angles and just makes it really hard on a fighter. Um, uh, during round nine, Virgil Hunter, uh, Andre Ward's lifelong trainer, said he wanted to see Ward get a stoppage. Uh, Max Kellerman asked why Andre Ward was so flat-footed. Virgil said, you know, that Andre is just kind of evolving as a fighter. He's flat-footed. Uh, he's throwing with a little more power, and you're seeing him evolve in the ring. And I thought that was really interesting to hear that from Virgil, to think that a fighter like Andre Ward is just getting better, and you're watching him get better as he fights. It's just kind of crazy to think. Um, the one thing I think Ward uh, didn't do, and he gave himself a B-minus. At the end of this fight, he said it was a B-minus fight, um, the one thing he didn't do was throw his right hand. And it made me wonder. He had surgery on that right shoulder, um, I think it was last year. So I wonder if his shoulder is still hurt or if he doesn't want to risk throw, uh, hurting it. Finally, in the 12th round, he connected with a great short right hook. And so every punch in his arsenal is dangerous. Like You, you don't have to worry about his jab or just his hook or uppercut and his defense, too. You have to worry about all these phases as an opponent and then come in with your own game plan. So war dominated Barrera. Um, some punch stats for you. It wasn't even close. Uh, he landed 30, 36% of his total punches, 166 of 463. Barrera landed 15%, 111 of 722. And power punches were just incredible. If you're landing anywhere 40 or 50% of your power punches, that's a good night for you. And he landed a hundred of 229. Very efficient. Uh, not a lot of wasted movement or motion from Andre Ward. He's not a fighter that you see get tired in the ring. Um, he just is 
a brilliant tactician. He's an artist in there, and I'm, I'm not slurping him. He's just, that's what he is, you know? Um, now, his nickname needs some work. Son of God is not my, uh, is not my favorite choice for uh, a nickname for a fighter, but it makes sense today on Easter Sunday. So uh, the timing was perfect for him. Uh, Barrera only landed 19% of his power punches, 65 of 348. Um, Andre Ward finally admitted at the end of the fight that the layoff he had, or the layoff he's been having for the last on and off for the last four years, could have been a factor in him looking a little sloppy. He was caught by some clean shots by Barrera. And if you get caught with those shots against a higher caliber light heavyweight, Kovalev, Stevenson, Fonfara, Pascal, Hopkins, then you might be in trouble. So Andre Ward proved he belongs in the light heavyweight division tonight and proved that he's still one of the slickest, most accurate boxers out there. But did he prove he could be a favorite in a fight with Sergey Kovalev. He says he wants to fight the best, he's a great champion, and he's the man at light heavyweight. So he gave Sergey Kovalev, who was ringside, his due and said that he's the man. Um, but after that interview, I got the impression, and I think a lot of boxing fans did, that he's going to fight at least once more, if not twice, before fighting Sergey Kovalev. He just needs another fight. Kovalev has been much more active in the light heavyweight division for you know basically his entire career. Uh, he, you know he fought John Pascal twice, Bernard Hopkins, uh, but Ward's streak at super middleweight was more impressive. Kessler, Green, Bika, Abraham, Froch, Dawson, but that was 2009 to 2012. I mean he was on another stratosphere at that moment. But then after his breaks, injuries, management problems, where is he now? Where do you rank him? If he fights Kovalev, is he a favorite? I give Kovalev to be a favorite, a small favorite, just because he's been more active. And after tonight's fight, after Ward said he his performance was a B-, minus, well, if he fought Kovalev last night, I think Kovalev would have beat him. So he needs to get better, and he needs to fight top 10 light heavyweights. You know, Barrera's a good fighter, and I give it up to him. That, that kid fought well. There's been a lot of fighters, good fighters, who looked foolish against Andre Ward. Barrera didn't look foolish. He wasn't throwing as much, but that's what Andre Ward does. But he occasionally connected, and I got to get up to the kid. I'd like to see him fight again. I'd like to see Barrera fight, you know, uh, a top 20 light heavyweight. Maybe he can hang around. Maybe he can make a name for himself against someone like Pascal, although I don't think Pascal would do that. But getting back to Ward, I'd like to see Ward fight someone in the top 10. I could see him fighting another outside the top 10 fighter and then diving in. So I could see two fights and then setting up something with Kovalev in early 2016. I'd like to see him fight, as we've mentioned, Fonfara or Pascal Someone that he can, that you can kind of build your your light heavyweight resume around. So if you can fight someone like that, then fight Kovalev. It's a, that's the tune-ups he needs. He doesn't need these tune-ups against guys that that aren't quite polished yet. He needs to fight someone that's very skillful, who has proven that they're good in light heavyweight. That's what he needs to do. Uh, my prediction: two more fights before you see Kovalev. I know that hurts some boxing fans to hear, and I think sometime early next year. Those two will fight 
So hopefully we'll see that fight. All the fight fans, I mean, that's the number one fight out there, right? It's Triple G, Canelo, or Andre Ward versus Sergey Kovalev. So the, that's right. I can't wait. I Hopefully we get to hear that damn thing when it actually happens. So Because this fight has been teased now for a while. And uh, we all know that in boxing, you can tease fights for a little while. That's how it works. That's how you get money. That's how you generate interest. Um, uh, there's a balance, I think, between UFC and boxing. UFC gives you the fights you want pretty quickly. And sometimes that can backfire. Boxing waits too long. You know, you don't want Pacquiao and Mayweather waiting five years. So there's got to be an in-between. So I think you let a fight brew for a year, uh, and then you and then you let it happen. So hopefully Kovalev, Ward, because that's just a pretty fight. Because Kovalev's just got heavy hands. And it looks like Ward brought some power up when he moved from uh, super middleweight up to light heavyweight. So I'm not worried about that. He just needs to stay active and stay stay healthy and stay on track. 32 years old, this could be a peak. That's a lot of peak age for fighters. So hopefully we see that going forward. Um, there was an undercard fight, Joseph Diaz Jr. versus Jason Velez, featherweights, uh, you know, 125 pounders. Uh, let's check out some highlights from Diaz and Velez. This was a great fight. This was a nice action fight. I mean, the little guys, they know how to throw. And as you see, Joseph Diaz, uh, here, we here comes some great Diaz highlights. Look at that left hand. I mean, that left hand was strong to the body, to the head. And now, boom, another left hook to the head. Diaz was active, looked strong, um, and just took it to Velez the entire night. Another strong left hand. I mean, he owned him. Look at this left hook that comes there. Left, 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 left. So he probably could have beat him with one hand. But it was a very fun fight to watch. Nice. And the great Michael Buffer announcing the winner of the fight. Good fight there. Uh, Velez now goes to 23-2-1. And, and Joseph Diaz stayed undefeated at 20-0-0. So what did I say 20-0? Why did I say two O's in there? Just because it's a formality. But we're not going to stick around and break that one down for long um, it was a solid undercard fight. Uh, the, the fans at Oakland were really enjoying the fights. Uh, it looks like there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a boxing bubble there. I mean, I like when these fighters like Terrence Crawford fights in Nebraska. So not all the fights are in Vegas or New York or LA. And I love every fight to be in LA. I love to go, but I like when the fighters create these little pockets. And and Triple G has kind of created a fan base in in LA. It's kind of like a the second home now, and then like Terrence Crawford in Nebraska, and as we mentioned, Andre Ward in Oakland. It's kind of fun. You mix it up, and you get these uh, crazy rabid hometown fans. And uh, I wanted to mention something. Stephen Curry, quite possibly the the best basketball player on the planet right now, arguably with LeBron James. Steph Curry was ringside at the Andre Ward fight. I've heard a lot of pundits say that boxing is dead. And of course, it, it's not what it was in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. It doesn't have, I mean, there's just too much content out there. But the people who say boxing is dead couldn't be more wrong. Turn on your TVs on HBO or Showtime or NBC or Spike or whoever's showing fights because there's more places to watch fights now than ever. And tell me there's not great fights out there. 
Turn them on. It's almost every weekend you can turn on one of those networks and watch great fights. The best basketball player on the planet was ringside last night and was having a hell of a time, as we showed in the video earlier. He was having a great time. If the greatest, one of the greatest athletes on the planet goes to a show, I'd say boxing is still relevant. So if you're on the fence with, if you want to commit to be a boxing fan, just go out there and research the recent fights of the past year or so. You can find great stuff and turn on your TVs because boxing isn't dead. So I'm just reminding people. I hear people like Michael Wilbon on ESPN say it's dead. And I know those guys lived through it there back in the 70s and 80s in the heyday. But it's not even close to dead. So turn on your TVs. Turn on the fights. And also, you're going to want to turn on this fight on April 9th. Pacquiao and Bradley 3. Let me take a little sip here. Thanks for bearing with me as I sip my water. Usually when I have my co-host, I can lean on them. But we get Pacquiao, Bradley 3. We had Pacquiao Bradley 1 in 2012, Pacquiao Bradley 2 in 2014, and now, so every two years, we get a Pacquiao Bradley fight. I think this will be the last one. And I, I'm not sure how the boxing public is going to, you know, how it's going to be received on, on pay-per-view and, and how fight fans are going to like this. And I know as a, as a lifelong fight fan, when I heard this fight was announced, I was kind of eh about it. But I think that was kind of a knee-jerk reaction because, you know, the first fight where most boxing fans believe that Manny Pacquiao won, I went back through my giant file cabinet of, of uh, scorecards, uh, handwritten scorecards that my girlfriend wanted me to throw out, but I adamantly said I'm keeping these because I might have to reference them, and I finally had a reason to do it. So I look back on my scorecard Back in the day, I scored at 118-110 for Pacquiao. That's 10 rounds to two. I could see someone maybe having 8-4, to 9-3, to three, somewhere around there. But the judges had a split decision win for Timothy Bradley, as we all know. But if you look at the punch stats, now I know you don't judge fights just on punch stats, but Bradley landed 11% of his jabs, 28% of his power punches, and 19% total. So... He didn't do much to win the fight. And the only person I know that really gave that fight to Bradley was Brian Kinney. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. But when 99% of boxing fans and writers say that one person won the fight, then it's, it's a robbery. But Bradley got the fight and got the win. And good for him. And uh, when they met in the rematch in 2014, Pacquiao got the... Majority decision, 118-110, 116-112, and 116-112. I scored at 115-113 for Pacquiao, so I thought the second fight was much closer than the first. Seven rounds to five. And I think you could be seeing a trend here. Pacquiao's 37 years old, slowing down. Timothy Bradley's 32 years old. May have peaked already, not sure. He's kind of hard to figure out. Pacquiao hasn't KO'd anyone since Miguel Cotto in 2009 when he was on fire, best fighter in the world by far. Bradley never knocks anyone out. He's active, but he doesn't knock people out. Uh, he did TKO Brandon Rios, who's a very tough fighter, but I'm going to chalk that one up to Rios being overweight and uninterested in going on with the fight, and then he said he was going to retire. But I'm not going to hold that against Timothy Bradley. It's a good win. But you look at these numbers. Timothy Bradley has never been able to land very accurately 
against Manny Pacquiao. Like I said, first fight, 19%. Second fight, 22%. So if my math served me correctly, that's 20.5% on average. But if you take Timothy Bradley's highest percentage, 22% connect percentage, these fighters that Manny Pacquiao has fought have landed at a higher percentage than Timothy Bradley ever did. Floyd Mayweather, Chris Algieri, Brandon Rios, Juan Manuel Marquez in the fourth fight, Miguel Cotto, Antonio Margarito, Joshua Claudi, and Ricky Hatton. All of those fighters had more success landing on Manny Pacquiao. So what's going to change now that Bradley's fighting him for a third time? What has changed where he's going to be able to land more punches? Well, I know that possibly it could be Teddy Atlas. So hopefully we hear some of that Teddy Atlas verbiage during this fight coming up on April 9th. Let's hit it. If we have the, uh, there it is. Are you ready for the fire? We're firemen. We are firemen. The heat doesn't bother us. We live in the heat. We train in the heat. It tells us that we're ready. We're at home. We're where we're supposed to be. Flames don't intimidate us. What do we do? We control the plane. We control them. We move the plane where we want to. And then we extinguish them. <laughs> Timothy Bradley, let's go. Let's go. I love Teddy Atlas. You either love him or hate him. He's a, he's a great trainer. And I think and Timothy Bradley is so moldable, if that's a word, I think. Steve, is that a word, moldable? Do you know? I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Moldable. As a fighter... He is like a sponge. We'll use that. He's a sponge. And he he soaks it all in. Um, so recently, he, when he fought Brandon Rios, that was his first fight with Teddy Atlas. So I think those two actually make a really good team. Teddy Atlas is a very uh, intense trainer. And Timothy Bradley likes direction. And he's a, good, he, he's, a, he's a good student. So what can Teddy Atlas do? The question you have to ask is what did he change in Timothy Bradley so that he can be more accurate against a slick fighter who gives tough angles and for all intents and purposes to most of the boxing public has lost twice to? His only professional loss was to Manny Pacquiao. Pacquiao kind of has his number. Bradley's best win was against Juan Manuel Marquez in 2013. Great win. Maybe his sharpest, slickest fight he's ever fought. But other than that, Bradley doesn't have that signature win to define his career. And if I'm looking at some of his numbers here, he just doesn't have that win against, you know, one of the best welterweights of all time. I'm not counting Manny Pacquiao the first time. It's just he did not look, I mean, he looked better in the second fight, but also lost that. He just doesn't have that signature win. He would tell you otherwise, but he doesn't have it in the boxing public. So I think this third fight between Bradley and Pacquiao will be the most competitive fight of the three. Oh, yeah. One, two, three. Love it. He, but he, Bradley, you know, he 19% first fight, 22% second fight. If he can raise that to maybe around 30, he's got a serious shot. But what is Teddy Atlas going to do that's going to change things? Manny is going to be out to prove something, I think, after his lackluster performance against Floyd Mayweather in May of last year. 
And I think he might take the fight to Bradley. Because I think he wants to, you know, he says he's going to retire. And I think he wants to retire on a good note. The only positive that that could be for Bradley is this could leave Manny open to more counter shots and thus him winning rounds. Now, is he going to be able to knock him down or stagger him? Manny's been stunned before, but he basically, he has a decent chin. Bradley doesn't throw knockout punches. He's never really had the power in the welterweight division to knock people out. But if Manny takes the risks and it has maybe slowed down to what people think, Bradley could win some rounds. But the plus for Manny, being aggressive, is that Bradley sometimes gets sucked, sucked into other fighters' styles and has come close to getting knocked out late in fights. Ruslan Provodnikov, Jesse Vargas. But Teddy Atlas may has, maybe has changed that. We didn't see him get sucked in too much against Brandon Rios. But Brandon Rios, I think, was a shell of who he was a few years ago. And so I think it's time to dive in to some predictions for Pacquiao Bradley 3. Let's do it. And now, you're after Buzz TV predictions. Nice. Ultimately, because of Pacquiao's age, Bradley possibly peaking with a new manager, and this being a grudge match, I'll think, I think we're going to get some serious fireworks because both fighters really want and need this fight. Manny to possibly end his career on a high note, and Bradley to be considered one of the best welterweights in the world. And as he mentioned on the show last night on HBO, the preview, you know, to define his legacy. My prediction is, much like the second fight, I think it's going to be close. I think we're going to see a fight that's going to be tough to score. And I think Pacquiao is going to win a unanimous decision or a split decision. I'm predicting seven rounds to five, something like 115-113. I'm hoping you don't hear 115-113, Pacquiao, 115-113, Bradley, 114-114, draw, draw. That'll be the worst thing in this fight. But hopefully we don't see that. But I just don't see how Bradley could have improved that much with a new coach against someone he's never had success in hitting. And as I mentioned, all those other fighters had a better percentage against, against Pacquiao. So we'll see. But that's April 9th at the MGM Grand, and that's going to be a fun pay-per-view night. And that was pretty much my stat chat. I guess that was my stat chat. My stat chat for this podcast was basically just talking about Pacquiao and Bradley and the numbers and Bradley's poor connect percentage. So I'm so sorry. I need to get a stat chat drop. I need to make a stat chap drop. Um, and I was going to look at some boxing news if everyone wants to hang with me for a minute. Um, there's some uh, bad news I saw that Nick Blackwell is in a induced coma after his uh, stoppage loss against Chris Eubank last week. So that's hopefully he can recover from that because that's just terrible news. Um, he collapsed after the fight. It was really ugly. So hopefully that can uh, he'll get better. Um, a lot of writers are saying that Ward beat Barrera but failed to impress. That's kind of the writings today on the boxing wall. Um, I, I, I think he still looked very impressive against a uh, hungry light heavyweight. And this is his first fight at light heavyweight. So, And after the layoff, he's not going to fight someone great. So 
Um, if he keeps fighting guys like this and then keeps having just, you know, decent nights, you know, B-minus nights, then I'd say it's, you know, failing to impress. But Ward looks slick and great, and he looked like Andre Ward always does. And, you know, those are pretty much the—that's the breaking news today. Um, you know, there's been some rumors that Mayweather said he would come out of retirement to fight Golovkin. But I think that's just a, just Mayweather trying to make headlines. Um, you know, who knows? But the fight people want to see is Golovkin versus Canelo and then Ward versus Kovalev. So hopefully we see those fights. So uh, as we look on Twitter here, I had a, an old friend of mine, at uh, Colin Naylor on Twitter. And uh, he was saying, Jared, you know, I, I, I know nothing about boxing now. But uh, the only thing I know is uh, uh, the high school, you know, days watching with you, uh, Lennox Lewis and Hasim Rahman and Big New Yorker Pizzas. Now, if you remember Big New Yorker Pizzas from Pizza, they're great. Um, hopefully they bring them back. So I don't know if you hung out with your friends, but back in the late 90s, early 2000s, we just couldn't wait to see Lennox Lewis get knocked out. And the night that he lost to Hasim Rahman, was an amazing knockout. Go check it out for yourself. That was in South Africa. It was amazing. Uh, and then, of course, Rockman got rocked uh, the next year to lose. But um, I'm reminded by an old friend on Twitter about those great nights, you know, 15 years ago. That was a good time. So, Colin, thanks for the shout-out on Twitter. And uh, that's going to do it for me here on The Boxing Show. So I thank everyone for hanging out with me today, solo in the studio. Uh, maybe we'll have a co-host next week. We're working on some some stuff here behind the scenes. But until then, I'm Jared Gilkerson. It's at Gilkerson Radio on Twitter. Tweet me some boxing questions, some of your own predictions, what you thought of the Ward-Barrera fight, what do you think of Ward-Kovalev going forward, when that fight's going to happen. I love chatting with boxing fans online. Uh, it's just great to hear another opinion and hopefully in the future we'll do a, uh, a fan call-in show. I do that for some of the other after shows here with uh, iZombie and a few of the other ones I'm involved with. It's so much fun. So uh, maybe after Pacquiao-Bradley, the pay-per-view on the, on the 9th, uh, we'll have the show on the 10th here in the studio. Maybe you can come in and, uh, and uh, call in, that is, and uh, with your questions. So until then, everyone have an amazing Easter Sunday night. Cheers. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Box you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.